This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. I'm convinced that this journey that we're taking through Exodus is incredibly formative for us as a young church. There are lessons that we are learning in these early years together that we already find the children of Israel learning and relearning, as we will see, from their first days as a people. They're already growing theologically in their understanding of who God is. They are learning to live together as a people set free to serve God alone. And like a father, God will teach them to trust in him every step of the journey. As one poet said, every step in arrival. Similarly, as we begin our fourth year together as a church, did you hear that? Wow, hasn't that flown by? As we begin our fourth year, we are growing theologically in our understanding of who God is. We're learning how to live as a people, the people of God, as we make and cultivate relationships. We're growing as disciples of Jesus, learning how to trust our God who goes before us. And I'm certain the Lord is going to use his word to shape us to be a certain type of people, scripture-shaped people, Christ-loving people. Spirit-filled people, gospel people. So let's expect God to continue this good work that he has started in us because we have a long way to go, both in the book of Exodus and also as a church together. Exodus is not merely an ancient artifact or just a historical account. It's God's own record of how he redeemed his people. The book's not meant for us to simply read it and move on from it, but in it to learn who God is and how this story shapes our lives as the people of God today. The narrative of Exodus 14 is nothing short of thrilling, and the theological significance of this chapter is massive. It's filled with tension and anticipation, with miracles, And I'm sorry to say that today we will not reach the end of this story. What? We're in Exodus 14 where God miraculously leads his people to walk on this Red Sea road, the dirt in the middle of the ocean. And you're saying we're not going to read the whole thing today? No. We're not. The reason is, if you drive 70 miles an hour through this narrative, some very important truths might just whiz by us without us noticing them. So as we drive the Canaan Highway, we're going to pull off by this little sign that says, Scenic View, pull over here. And we're going to pull off, and I pray by God's grace at this stop, that what we see here teaches us, as the people of God, to trust in Him in a profound way. Those of us who are Christians can point back to when we realized there was nothing we could do about our condition before God as sinners. We needed a Savior. 
And so we came to the end of ourselves in desperation and called on God to save us. And even after coming to believe in Jesus, we still find ourselves in situations that seem impossible for us to handle. Burdens too heavy for us to bear. Chasms too wide for us to cross. And in our desperation, we rightly cry out to God, Save us, O God. We're often brought to the end of ourselves so that we might experience the saving power of God in our lives. What impossible situations has God brought you through? On this path between bitter bondage in Egypt and the milk and honey of the promised land, there are many lessons to learn. Exodus 14, verses 1 through 14, contains a critical lesson in the school of faith. The Lord will fight for his people. Now, that reality is illustrated as the people of God face a seemingly impossible situation. Yet it's here as they are hemmed in by danger on all sides that the Lord brings them to the end of themselves and teaches them to trust in his salvation. They wouldn't contribute one thing to the salvation that God would accomplish for them. They would simply be the grateful recipients of it. So I want to highlight three encouragements that we will look at along the way. First, the Lord will direct our path. Verses 1 through 4. Second, the Lord works in ways we cannot see. Verses 5 through 9. And then finally, verses 10 through 14, the Lord alone will save. So let me invite you to stand your feet once more as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihaharoth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord." And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this that we have done, that we let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel. He pursued Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. Would you be seated? The first encouragement from this passage is that the Lord will direct our path. Last week, we picked back up with the children of Israel on their way out of Egypt. We looked at this text overflowing with comforts for the people of God. We saw how God would lead his people by a strong and steering hand, making known to them the path that they should walk. We were reminded by the bones of Joseph that God is faithful to his promises and that everything he said he will do. We witnessed the presence of God manifested in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that would be a sure and constant reminder to them that God was surely near. And if we didn't know how the rest of the story was about to unfold, we might think that the credits are about to be cued and that they would live happily ever after. But like, you know those extra scenes at the end of a Marvel movie after the credits? Well, the story goes on. As a matter of fact, our story is still just beginning in many respects. Here in verses 1 and 2, we find the Lord continuing to direct the path of his people as he turns them around. We learned last week that instead of taking the way of the Philistines, God would lead his people through the way of the wilderness, where they would spend 40 years learning what it meant to be God's chosen people. They were all packed up. They were making good time. When the Lord told Moses, hey, I want you to reverse course. I want you to turn back toward Ramses a bit. And I'd like you to make camp facing the wilderness with, the back, with your backs to the sea. Now, from the vantage point of this being, thus saith the Lord, it makes perfect sense, right? It was God who commanded this. But I'd imagine this must have seemed like Moses had lost his mind to most of the people. So let's get this straight. Instead of continuing on this journey away from the bloodthirsty army that just lost all their firstborn sons, they're supposed to just pull over here, stop on the course, and just make camp. And camp is supposed to be facing the wilderness with their backs to the sea. Now, on the first day of military strategy school, they would teach you that this is not a good move if you want to make it to day two. This is it. This is a terrible idea. This would leave you exposed on the front and trapped in the back with nowhere to go. And so I just imagine some, you know, ornery character in the, in the party wagon says, so uh, just so I'm sure, we're, we're all pulling over now. We're supposed to make camp right here between this rock and this hard place, painted into a corner with our backs against the wall between the devil and the deep blue sea. Yeah, that's the plan. This is exactly right. 
So God fills in Moses as to this plan for this divine wandering in verses 3 and 4. He wants Pharaoh to think two things. One, the Israelites have lost their mind. They're out there just wandering in the desert lost. And second, that the wilderness has shut them in. Now, from Pharaoh's perspective, that's an easy conclusion. Unless you can see who it is that's directing the path of these wilderness wanderers, not all who wander are lost. So why is God doing all this? Why is he leading his people this way? God has hemmed his people in with dangers so that he might show his power and glory to them in their salvation. Why is he so interested in the Egyptians? God has hardened the heart of Pharaoh and is leading him out into the wilderness so that he might demonstrate his power and glory in his destruction, that the Egyptians would know that he is God. So God is directing the paths of all the parties involved. Do you see that? And why is he doing it? All for his great glory. His children and their salvation, his enemies and their destruction. We'll look more at that next week. So as I think about how God directs the paths of his people, I was reminded this week of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I've long, since I was a boy, heard my dad say this was his life verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It summarizes much of what we see here in our passage today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your path. So Christian, you no longer have to trust in the master plan of your life Because the master has already planned it. That's what this means. You have something far greater to trust in. That the Lord himself directs your path. You can trust in the Lord. Walk by faith in him. Walking in relationship with him. Making it your primary aim to know Christ. And to live in relationship with him. And he will direct you. He will make your path straight. The Lord directs our paths for his glory. The second encouragement that I have from this is the Lord works in ways we cannot see. I thought about the little like 90s praise chorus. Um, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. It goes on. I forget the lyrics. But what we have primarily in this section is the outworking of what God had told Moses would come to pass. Yet notice, before we see activity in the actions of Pharaoh and his army, a silent, inward working is happening. First, notice in the mind. The minds of Pharaoh and his servants change toward the Israelites. Perhaps it was in the pain of losing their firstborn sons and then demanding them leave. Maybe it was out of anger of having endured these ten horrible plagues. But their mind was changed. And they're asking, what have we done? Why have we driven off our entire workforce? And so Pharaoh calls his officers together. He assembles 600 chariots. And then notice all the other chariots of Egypt. And they're chasing after the Israelites. This is like gathering the strength of the Air Force and the Navy and the Marines and the Army and the Coast Guard in a joint mission after these wandering people in the desert. 
He's thrown the full force of the Egyptian army at it. And notice also the Lord is at work in the heart of Pharaoh. Not in a way that leads him to repentance, but in a way that hardens him even further in this rebellion. And we were first told that God would harden Pharaoh's heart in chapter 4, verse 21. Before Moses ever returned to Egypt, before he stood toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, before any of the plagues were wrought, God told Moses Pharaoh would not let the people go. He even discloses the reason why. God himself was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. There were 22 references, now that we've read, to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Eleven of us, eleven of them tell us that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Eleven of them tell us it was God at work. So on one hand, we see Pharaoh's decision to harden his own heart against God. On the other hand, we see God's sovereign decision to harden Pharaoh's heart. And we've seen this storyline develop over these chapters, these last ten chapters. Pharaoh began by refusing to obey God, acknowledging God even as he smirked, Who is Yahweh, that I should obey him and let Israel go? That was in chapter 5. Then he negotiated with God, pleading that if these frogs would be extinguished, then he would let the people go. That was in chapter 8. At one point, he asked for a blessing and a prayer, almost seeming to repent of what he had done. That was chapter 9. And in every battle between Moses and Pharaoh, and God and Pharaoh, the Lord was at work, accomplishing his slow and steady purposes. He was at work in the heart of Pharaoh so that his ultimate purposes and plans might be achieved, that God would be the victor over Pharaoh And deliver his people from captivity. So, don't miss this. While all of this is happening, the Israelites couldn't see it. They couldn't see anything of what was happening in the heart of Pharaoh. They couldn't see anything happening in the hidden plan of God. When Pharaoh had demanded for the death of all of Israel's sons, the people couldn't see what God was going to accomplish in their suffering. When they were doubled up with burdens because Moses demanded Pharaoh let his people go. They could not see God silently moving. And now as they stand with their backs against the sea and head on with their forces, they can't see it. And all of a sudden they hear the rumble of hoofbeats and the clatter of chariots and the battle cry of the Egyptian army. But they still don't see what God is about to do. Around them, in them, for them. Instead of moving to a time of thinking how we might apply these verses to our lives, our next point is just brimming over with application for us. Here, I just want to offer one word of exhortation. Believe that God is working all around you in ways that you cannot see. Believe that God is working in you in ways that you cannot detect. These armies that are approaching are real. The weapons that they wield are real. The presence and promises of God toward his people are even more real. The promise of God to lead them, to guide them, to go before them, To save them is real. 
I don't know what impossible circumstance that you have faced in the past or what impossible circumstance you might face this morning or the ones that you will face in your future as a follower of Christ. But I know that all that we see is not all that there is to see. And I know that God is working and that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He's told us so in Philippians chapter 1. I love how John Piper has taught us to see that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. God's doing 10,000 things right now in this room and we might be aware of three of them. The Lord works in ways we cannot see. And the third lesson we learn along the way is that the Lord alone will save. In verse 10 is where the plot thickens. The story bursts into activity. Pharaoh and his goons are closing in on the people of Israel. And notice what they do. Lift up their eyes and behold. Now, most of the time when we read those, those words in Scripture, they are filled with faith. Lift up their eyes and behold. Lift up your heads, O you gates. The king of glory draws near. But here they lift up their eyes and behold the Egyptian army. And there's an interesting pairing of what we see the Israelites doing in verse 10 with what Moses commands them to do instead in verses 13 and 14. I spent time just thinking about this this week. I tried to outline it with paper multiple ways. So I want to explore these Three commands for our own edification. These three commands that Moses gives to the people of God in the face of an impossible situation. First, fear not. Fear not. In verse 8, Moses said that the Israelites were marching out boldly. Well, how things have changed. The presence of their former captors seems to have striked fear right into the core of who they are. The sudden appearance of the Egyptian army undermines not only their self-confidence, but more importantly, far more importantly, their trust in God. The very people who had seen the Nile River turn to blood and the skies swarm with flies and the death of each Egyptian firstborn. Don't forget this, the nearness of this cloud of the presence of God attends their every step and they're still filled with fear. At the first sign of danger, they panicked. If you think you're beyond that, you've sorely mistaken the Christian life. And the Israelites didn't have the luxury of the promises of Christ to lean upon. They didn't know what was about to happen like we do today. They are scared for their lives. And so Moses speaks into their fear a louder word. Fear not. One of the most repeated commands in Scripture is fear not. It occurs when God speaks. It appears when angels appear. It appears most regularly when people are up against something that looks impossible. And these words are repeated throughout the story of salvation. First to Abraham in Genesis 15.1. When God makes a covenant with him. To Isaac in Genesis 26. When God promises him. Later to Joshua in Joshua chapter 8 verse 1. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. And that word rings out to you and me today. Fear not. 
The second command is to stand firm. In verse 10, we hear the people of God grumble for the first time since leaving Egypt. Now get ready to hear them grumble a lot. It's been a few days into this 40-year trip. They're already whining, wanting to come back where they came from. Moses is in the driver's seat just saying, don't make me come back there. Don't make me pull this caravan over. There are three things that they ask, including, were there not enough graves in Egypt to bury us, so we had to come out here to die? Yep, that's it. In a nation famous for building grave sites, there weren't enough there, so we had to come out here. What is this? This is sarcasm. Ancient sarcasm, which I'm sure you've never heard on a long trip. But after their questions, there's a haunting statement It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They can't see God's working. So Moses commands them to stand firm. Here we see what they are called to do. What are they called to do? Not to run away with fear. Not to retreat to the life they used to know. But they're not called to add anything to it either. Basically, God wants them to do nothing. That's the command. Stand firm, shut up, do nothing. You see that at the end of 14? Like, hey, don't even say a word. God's going to do it all. And this is the point. They would not contribute one thing to the salvation God was going to accomplish for them. They would simply be the grateful recipients of it. So don't retreat, stand firm. And then finally, see the salvation of God. Moses tells them that God had predestined this great salvation. And as soon as nightfall, they would see it once and for all. As a matter of fact, they would never see these Egyptians again. Who's saying these words to the people? Moses. Stuttering Moses. Reluctant Moses. Fear-filled Moses. So what have we seen between chapter 3, where we met him, and now? He has grown, hasn't he? He's grown in his faith. Through the course of all of these ups and downs, all of the victories and the defeats, Moses is growing in his faith. Michael Barrett, who's a theologian, summarizes it like this. Pharaoh was sure of victory. Israel was sure of defeat, but Moses was sure of deliverance. Moses was the only one who was right. In this seemingly hopeless situation, they were to keep still, stay out of the way, and watch God keep his word and fight for them. Now, this is very important because this is not the rhetoric of the day of what Moses is is, um, modeling for us. Listen to what he says. Moses' faith was not the power of positive thinking... Or blind optimism. It was confidence in the certainty of God's promise. Faith doesn't make things happen. It lays hold of and rests on the word of God that must be true regardless of what is happening. That's not the story that social media tells us. Just you can manifest these things into reality. Norman Vincent Peale's version of of positive thinking 
We've lived too long to know those things don't work. But what never fails are the promises of God. So Christian, what lessons do we have to learn on this scenic turnout? The Lord will fight for us. And is this not how your life in Christ began? You were hemmed in by sin and death? You looked at the overwhelming debt that you had racked up. Debt against the Lord. You knew you had no way of escaping the wrath of God. This story of God's redemption and salvation that is seen on the banks of the Red Sea is a picture of what we have known in Christ. You and I didn't contribute anything to the salvation of God in our lives. We did not add one iota to his redeeming work. To illustrate how desperate our condition was, the New Testament says it like this, that God sent his only son. That's how desperate our condition was. God himself entered into it. He sent his only son, and that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so I just want to say, if you know that you are hemmed in by your sin, if you're at the end of yourself, call out to God, save me from my sin. Repent of it and turn to him in faith and trust, and he will save you. And brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not outgrow our awareness of the desperate condition we have before God. A great confidence that we stand before him is by faith alone in what God has done, not, not in anything that we could bring to the table. And so thinking back on impossible circumstances in your past or circumstances you face right now or things on the horizon that are as scary as an Egyptian army. Fear not. Stand firm. We will see the salvation of the Lord. And even if we must go through the battle, he will save us on the other side of it. He is the God who saves Let's thank him for that. Father, how glad we are for your word that instructs us, that just sweeps our legs out from under us of standing on any kind of self-justification or, or self-righteousness. Lord, forgive us for the times we are plagued with fear and doubts and unbelief the times we don't acknowledge how you move in mysterious and silent ways. And even, even the moments where our hearts stop anticipating the salvation of the Lord that is to come. Let us look into the lives of these brothers and sisters from many, many years ago and learn from their example how we might today grow in our understanding of who you are, in our understanding of what it means to be your people and to live a life aimed at your glory. We thank you for your grace that attends us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 